Hey there, it's Frank Buckley. Today we're going to help you to be more productive. Maybe that's one of your New Year's resolutions. Our guest is someone who can definitely help. Aaron Falconer is co-founder of Leaf TV and the editor-in-chief and co-owner of Pick the Brain, a website dedicated to self-improvement with a special focus on personal productivity, motivation, and self-education. It's been named to more than 100 Best of the Web lists. And Erin herself is on a number of lists as well. Among them, Refinery29's Top 10 Women Changing the Digital Landscape for Good. Erin has written a new book with a provocative title. It's called How to Get Shit Done, Why Women Need to Stop Everything So They Can Achieve Anything. By the way, if you're a man like me, that's not a cue to stop listening. I learned a ton from the conversation you're about to hear about how to be more productive, but also about how women sometimes approach things differently. Here's my conversation with Aaron Falconer. Aaron, thanks uh, for coming in and being on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I, I'm I'm stoked to be here. Oh, great! Um, you have such an amazing story, and 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 you tell it in your book, "How to Get <laughs> Done." And and I, I as I was reading it, I, I was I was struck by something. I, I discussed this with my wife last night, actually, about how men and women look at productivity in a different way. Yeah. And and I said I talked to her about the fact that you. Note that women sort of go through the day and say, I did this, I got that done. Mm-hmm. And as a man, I would say, I never do that. Right. <laughs> yes, I would say that there are definitely different ways that men and women view productivity and how much they've accomplished. Um, I think that men, number one, are able to compartmentalize a little more. So, in the fact that you know when you've finished something and you're able to move on and you're done and you're done. And I think for women, it's like we're done, but you know we could have done a little bit more here. We could have done a little bit more there. And the, the wheels in our mind are always kind of turning. Yeah. And, and so the mind is never allowed to rest. We're never allowed to feel that we've completely completed something. Like nothing's ever done, done. Right. And I think that men have the ability to say, I did this, I'm moving on. Right. And really move on mentally. I'm not saying men don't suffer from work fatigue and all that stuff. There's a lot going on for both men and women, obviously. But I just think the engine is a little bit different um, genetically for women, but also just because of where we've come from in the workplace, where we have constantly been trying to prove ourselves over and over Mm. and over. There's a lot of fear-based stuff going on with women that I think that men have not had to deal with. And Um, and my sense is that that you're not only um, looking at your productivity, you're judging yourself Absolutely. and at the same time wondering how other people are judging you yeah. in a way that I think, yeah, guys go through that mm-hmm. too, but it's it just feels different. And h- how is mm-hmm. it different? Yeah, I, that's, I, I think this is an excellent point and you're exactly right on. That's my sense too, is that men, I don't know whether it's a confidence thing where they just feel like I've done the job and now I can move on, and women are are lacking that assuredness where they're like, they can just say with definity, like, I'm done, and now I'm moving on. And there's something about the way men approach that, which just, as I said before, it just feels like they have the confidence that they're done and they can move on. Mm-hmm. And there's something in a lot of the women's psyches around me, at least, that I've been working with, that... It's just they're never quite done. It could always be done better. There's always something more. And 
I'm not sure why that is. I, I, again, I would guess that it's part just physiological, psych, different psychologies between men and women, and mm -hmm. also the history of, of how we've gotten to the workplace. It's kind of like, I guess, if you've ever started out and you're a very, very ambitious person and you, you start in the mailroom, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. And you're hoping to get to the top of the company. You're always, if you're really hungry, you're always like, I could be doing more, I could be doing more, I could be doing more. But as you then move up the chain, you start to feel more comfortable and more self-assured. Like, I, I'm, I know I'm doing a lot and I'm doing enough. And mm -hmm. the problem is I feel like the women, because we haven't had as, as, as fair of a shake in the workplace, we always, no matter how high we're getting, still have that mailroom mentality of mm. got to be doing more, got to be proving, got to be proving, got to be proving. And that's exhausting and unsustainable, really. And and it's not only uh, at, at the workplace because right. and my wife has, mm -hmm. has I keep bringing up my wife because she really wanted me to talk to you on this on this <laughs> podcast, um, but she you know um, she she dings me over the fact that I sometimes have asked very successful women mm -hmm. on this on this podcast you know how do you do it right. how do you do it all right. And and she's like, why you don't ask that of the successful guys? Why do you ask the the women? Mm -hmm. And but I think there is something to the fact that people expect that they're yeah. like, oh, you know, you you've got to run the house mm -hmm. and you've got to run the business. Yeah. And is that an unfair question to ask? Um, I don't know if it's an unfair question, but I will say that yes, definitely, it's asked more of women than it right. is of men, and there is an expectation. But I would say the expectation is coming as equally from the women themselves as it is from men. And that's part of the problem, mm. right? So mm. it's not just men are like, you need to do this and you need to do that. The women, it's a self-imposed kind of perfectionism that is really the bigger problem because it's bad if somebody's telling you has this expectation on you, but it's worse if you're putting the expectation on yourself. Mm. Um, that becomes an inescapable kind of jail-like situation, right? Yeah, yeah. I will say people, this idea of, of, of having it all and wanting it all, I've, many people have asked me about my, you know, in my own life, not about the book, but Aaron, how do you do it? You seem to have it all. And I say the first thing is, is that I no, don't want it all. Mm. And that to me is the big problem. This idea of wanting everything yeah. is the problem because you can never attain everything. That's the idea, right? There's always something more you can be getting and that's the problem. Mm. So what I talk about in the book is, instead of going for it all, actually try and streamline what is it that you really, really want. And that list should be pretty short if mm. you're being honest with yourself. Um, you know, there are three general buckets, your personal life, your professional life, and then your kind of relationships. So, you know, how you interact both in the workplace and with friends and family. Um, and, and, when you look at those three buckets, try and distill down to one or two things that you want out of each of those categories, and you should be razor focused on those things only. Hmm. Um, so again, the buckets are professional, mm -hmm. personal, personal, and then relationships. And relationships. So where do you want to go professionally? Where do you want to go? What are your morals? What are your your goals on a personal level? Maybe that's I want to travel the world, or you know that kind of thing. And then your relationships, and which are the most important relationships to you? Which are the ones that you want to nurture? Which are the ones that are not serving you at all, mm. that are bringing your energy down, that are, you know, how many times have you got off, this is probably more specific to women, but maybe for men too, have mm -hmm. you seen a name on your phone, you know, somebody, the phone's ringing, and you go, ugh, and you kind of roll your eyes. That's a really good indicator, like this is a person, you might love them, but they are draining your energy, yeah. right? Yeah. And I do that all, I used to do that all the time, both from 
work relationships and obviously personal and family relationships where it's just like, hey, that's not cool. Like, I, there's something wrong with that. That's yeah. a kind of a litmus test, right? So anyways, back to your... But, but let me ask you about, yeah. about that. Uh-huh. When you get that call from that person now, let's say that person is draining mm-hmm. my, my energy. Mm-hmm. And I think we all have people right. like that. Uh, yeah, we do. Um, how do you deal with it? Well, number one, I think you've got you've to say... Look, what's the nature of this relationship? If if ninety percent of the time you feel like uh, ugh, a sigh when interacting with this person, you've got to really evaluate. Hey, how much do I want this person to be in my life? It's not, which is a hard, really hard thing to do. And yeah. I, I spend an entire chapter talking about this in the book. But you know what? It's not. It's a lot of times necessary to at least reassess these these relationships. I'm not saying go through with a machete and cut everybody out of your life, but at least be cognizant of who's taking your energy and giving you energy because mm-hmm. there are also a lot of people that are probably giving you energy that you're pumped when you get off the phone or out of a, yeah, out of a meeting you go god that i really feel good yeah those are the relationships you have to start prizing the other ones you have to start minimizing um and how do you minimize it and do you do well, you like in a typical you, case do you have a confrontation with that no. person do you say or do you start ghosting think, them or <laughs> Yeah, it's difficult, but I would say just being really honest about boundaries. So, for example, let's say let's say you, there's a person that's calling you relatively frequently, and it's a, always a bit of a drain. N- you, I think you have to be clear. Like, I'm never taking this call during work. If I have a clear, you know, I have a if I'm reading a book, if I've set out time to read a book or take a bath, I'm not taking this person's calls. Like, this is de- definitive me time or time that I've scheduled, and so. You have to, if, if you can find time, if there is time after you've done all your stuff to take that call and you for some reason feel it important to take that call, then you can. But I think it's about being very conscious of your own time and not allowing other people to cut into that time, mm. specifically people that are tr- taking your energy down. Uh, I mean, you could talk to the person and say, hey, look, I, I feel like it depends how long you've been friends with that person and how important that relationship is to you, of course, right? Because you have so, to know the consequences. Right, exactly. So, and it, and, and it might be worth having a really difficult conversation with if the relationship's worth, you know, saving and, and trying to, you know, spin on its head a little bit. If it's not, if it's a friend you've, you know, had for a couple of years, you know, whatever, then it's like, I mean, I don't want to say you should ghost a person, obviously. That would, that would be not good advice. Right. But you've got to put yourself first. Yeah. So whatever you need to do to put yourself first, that's what you have to do. Yeah. And, and I think it's just being really cognizant about the way you're spending your time. A lot of people just answer that phone, autom- phone call automatic pilot yeah. without thinking about it, right? right? And I think the, the most important thing is to think about everything you're doing. Don't just dial anything in because yeah. that's how you start to drain your energy and lose track of time. So I'm going to ask you, how'd you get so smart? And, <laughs> and before you answer, I'm, I'm going to tell people that if you read the book, you will understand that, that it's sort of a, a question that, that is amusing probably to you, <laughs> given the, the history that led up to, to, the, right. to the writing of the book. And I, I, maybe give us the, the five-minute version sure. of it, and, and maybe starting with graduation from 
McGill. Right, right. Okay, sure. So just one one little thing. How did I get so smart? I'll tell you. I don't. I, I wouldn't say one way or another that I'm smart, but I can tell you I, everything I've learned, I've learned from my failures okay. as opposed to my successes. And that's why I might seem very smart because I've had a lot of failures. Right, but you've had <laughs> some big successes too. Yeah, I have had some big successes. So basically I was kind of on a fast track to go to law school, um, a very, you know, Canada's kind of Harvard law school. And I had gotten my feet wet doing a little stand-up comedy and, you know, writing and stuff like that. And so when I thought I was going to go on the sure track, I decided very last minute to say, hey, no, I'm going to actually give this writing career a, a chance, much to the horror of my entire <laughs> immediate family. <laughs> and so I gave it a, about a year. No, what, I, yeah, I gave it a couple years in Toronto. I moved to Toronto from Montreal and um, my parents came, as I say in the book, to give me a very polite Canadian-style intervention and say, hey, you've given this enough time, you know, these, this great creative dream you've had, but now it's time to kind of wrap it up. And I said, you know, I totally agree with you. I have given it enough time in Toronto, and I know if I really <laughs> want to make a go of it, I'm going to have to go to L.A. And, <laughs> and that was like, you know, you can imagine. So I moved to Los Angeles, and I started writing, writing a lot of short films, it had some... Some success with that, not, you know, nothing to write home about, but... Um, well, it was something to write home well, about, because <laughs> well, then you, you had something to write home about. Right, right. <laughs> exactly. And then all of a sudden, in 2008, um, the economy crashed, my visa was up, uh, and I found myself really in a terrible, terrible position. I had no money, literally, like, I think I had a couple hundred dollars in the bank, mm. and there was tape around my house because it was about to be auctioned. Oh. It was terrible. Like, oh. I can't even, like, fetal position in the bathroom crying oh. terrible. And I was like, I can't believe this. I'm going to have to go back to Canada with my tail between my legs, tell my parents they were right, and, you know, everybody... And you had, quote-unquote, wasted how many years? Uh, like, seven years. Seven years. Yeah, so this was not a, like, let, let me just test the waters. This right. was, like, I had a full, kind of, life here. Yeah. And, and loved it, for the most part, and... Uh, so I was I, the thing that was the most kind of upsetting to me is that I've always gone with my gut. I've always kind of listened to myself, and and that was what was really scary. As I was like literally crying in my bathroom, I was like, I now I don't know where to go. I I'm totally lost because I've just listened to myself, and now I don't even have that because look at where I've ended up. Mm -hmm. And it was really frightening, and it really was like a dark moment where I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm 30, and I just don't, this is not where I thought I was going to be. That gut that had yeah. told you, had shown you the direction all these years. Right. Had failed was, me, really. Right. I thought had failed me. And yeah. that was terrifying. Yeah. And so I, when I was, literally there was a clock ticking because, as I said, the house was about to get foreclosed on, and I had to make a move. I had no money. It's not like I could have rented another place and, you know. And I did this one, I was applying frantically for jobs on Craigslist, and I got this one job, literally as I was about to book my ticket home, I got this, I got hired at this job, it was about $15 an hour to do some copywriting for a self-improvement website. And I said in that moment, like, do I take this seemingly crappy job? This is so beneath my pay grade, I can't even believe I'm doing this. <laughs> right. And I'm like, do I want to stay in L.A. working at a $15 an hour job or do I want to all equally terrible go home and just face like 
and start again basically there, but at least I'm in Canada and blah, blah, blah. And something told me, this voice that I was very hesitant in listening to at this point, right. said, just take this job. Just, it's the only job of the hundreds I applied for on oh Craigslist. It's the goodness. only one. Take it. I took the job, and that $15 an hour copywriting job turned into Pick the Brain and one of the most successful self-improvement blogs on the web. It opened up an entire world. This kind of came about as the blogging world was taking off, so I was like an early adopter, got in at a very exciting time, and as a result was able to parlay that into a lot of big success for the blog. Um, then I met my partner for Leaf TV, which is another company I founded, which is, a, which is a, 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 by all accounts, a pretty successful um, millennial generation e-commerce video portal um, and sold that two years later after we raised a million bucks for it and kind of that $15 an hour job turned into a really big success story yeah. um, for me and uh, and it came seemingly out of the dark. Yeah. And, and, I, and I, what I think is wonderful about that story is that, that I hope people who are listening to it Mm-hmm. And I, I'm I'm sure you must feel this way as yeah. well that you, they are in that that mm-hmm. that moment. They're in the fetal position mm-hmm. right now, yeah. right? They're at the end of the 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 period where yeah. they said to their parents, "I'm going to go try this. I'm going right. to go live my dream, right? And find my passion, yeah. And now they got to grow up, right? <laughs> right? Right? And and there is that moment for so many people. Mm-hmm. And you decided I'm going to grind it out a little bit longer, yeah. Have you thought about what would have happened if you'd gone the other way? I think about it all the time because when I say that it was really like a coin flip and my future was in that thing and I was kind of like, do I listen to the voice or do I say enough's enough and go home? And I really was was scared and it could have easily, that mm-hmm. coin could have flipped in the other direction. So yes, I think all the time. Look, I think I would have probably had some success. I'm a good student. I could have done, you know, I could have probably gone to law school. I would have found a way. I'm kind of a fighter and a hustler, so I would have found a way to make that situation work. Mm-hmm. But what really tipped the scales, and I think this is what's important for, for anybody listening that is in that fetal position mm-hmm. situation, is that when I really ask myself, what do I want? How have I found myself in this position? What do I want? The answer was still the same. I want to make a go of writing. I feel it in my heart. I got to give it a little more time. I got to take this job. But if I didn't have that answer, and I think this is what's, what's, what's wrong with a lot of people, is that they're on a track that they haven't really asked themselves, hey, is this what I really want? Mm. And so all that struggling and all that hardship is probably because you're not on the right path. Mm-hmm. Now, if you stop and ask, in my case... I, I, I couldn't say I was on the right path because look at where I was, but it was still the ultimately the right path for me because I really, really, really wanted to be a writer. I really, that's the number one thing that made me happy, gave me life, made me excited. Mm-hmm. So I said, I got to pursue it a little farther. If the answer, however, was, I don't even know if I want to be a writer. Why do I even want to be a writer? Like, I would have gone to, back to Canada mm. and I would have found what I wanted to do because... Yeah. This was a make it or break it situation in my life, yeah. and I really needed to figure out what I wanted to do. And I, it turned out, I was, you know, I did really want to be a writer. And now look, yeah. look what's happened. I've got the book. I've got a blog. You know, right. 
But if you, so it's, it's crucial to be asking yourself, hey, what do I really, 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 really want? Mm-hmm. And then go for it as, as far as you can. I mean, it sounds like uh, this idea of living with intention, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And, and we, I, I've had Sarah Blakely on, on this podcast mm-hmm. uh, who founded Spanx. Yeah, yeah. And she talks Great. about that a lot. <laughs> Yeah. And and how she knew mm-hmm. she had an invention in her head. She didn't yeah. know what it was. Right. But she knew she saw it. Yeah. That someday th- yeah. that's going to come to me. And then someday I'm going to meet Oprah and we're <laughs> going to become pals and I'm going to be on Oprah. <laughs> oh, man. And it happened. All yeah. of it happened. Unbelievable. Now, you know, there's some writer in, in North Hollywood right, right now thinking Some someday I'm going to win the Oscar. Right. And they're actually a terrible writer. Right. And they're... Maybe this is not the right, right thing you should be doing. Right. How do you know that? It's tough because there are those cases where there's just kind of a, a blind, um, I don't, I, I, what would I call it? Well, a, a blindness, I guess, to the reality of a situation. And, and that's really hard, to, that's a hard nut to crack in a way. Um, I have... For, let me let me not talk about the writer. But I ha, I have a, a friend that's an actress, and she's a really good friend, and she's struggled for a long time to be, you know, to make it. Mm-hmm. And this is going to sound weird, but in my opinion, she's not a great actress. Mm-hmm. She just isn't. And what I always try and say to her, because she's struggling. She's mm-hmm. not making really any money, mm-hmm. and I say... But how come you're not taking classes? How come you're not doing regional theater or little things? How come you're not going on Craigslist and getting in like little short films? Um, you know, practice that are your free. craft. Re- yeah. Practice your craft. Yeah. And there's kind of an elitist attitude, <laughs> ironically, coming from her that she's kind of above that. And this, I think, might be the it's kind of your like your scenario of the writer that's terrible mm-hmm. and thinks he's going to win an Oscar. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say. The reason I bring up this example is because if you're not willing to do the work, anything, anything it takes to make it, like as all those examples I just said, then I don't think this is the right thing for you. So Mm -hmm. to the writer that's listening that's had no success, you got to ask yourself, are you living, eating, and breathing this stuff? Are you doing everything you can? Are you reading great, great scripts? Are you reading great biographies on how people, you know, if you're not doing that, you got to ask yourself, why am I not? Mm -hmm. And that is a really good litmus test. If you're not doing those things innately, like Mm -hmm. you don't have a hunger for them, you got to ask yourself, is this really what I want to do? Right. Because to me, if you're telling this story to me, I'm saying, dude, you're in the wrong profession. Because maybe what you really like is the thought of Exactly. And you've got to be real with yourself. Yeah. You've got to be real with yourself. The thing is, and this happened to me too, as, as I said, I was here for seven years, right? Is that you start investing so much time that you ha- start having that mentality like, well, if I admit that this isn't the right career, then I'll admit that I've just wasted X amount of, t- you know, four years, five years, seven years, mm-hmm. and I can't handle that. But I would say to you, it is better to cut your losses even at seven years in and start something to do that you love and that you're actually good at mm-hmm. than to invest another seven years and still be in the same place yeah. that you are today. Yeah. So sometimes it's just about ripping the Band-Aid off. Yeah. And it's a bitter pill to swallow, but ultimately you'll be happier. And to that point, you you suggest as you're reading this book, you kind of give people drills. Mm-hmm. You give them homework. Yeah. And 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 you prompt them, right? So yeah. it's not just, oh, you know, should I keep doing this? You have some very specific questions. Mm-hmm. What are some of those questions? 
Well, first of all, I just think it's so important because even for me, it's so easy when you live in your head to make excuses, to lose track of things, to think you're doing a lot more than you are. And that's why it was really important to me in the book to have, I'm a big proponent of writing things down because Mm -hmm. then you hold yourself accountable. You Mm -hmm. know, whatever those... whatever that is, whatever your goals are, whatever you're setting out to do. And, and the same is true of, of, of these drills. So I ask very simple questions like, what, what do you want? What makes you happy? What things bring you energy? And you've literally got to write these things down. Mm-hmm. Where have you had your biggest successes? Where have you had your biggest failures? And you start mapping this stuff and looking. And all of a sudden, I think the f- people are really surprised when they put you know, apples to apples down and they start to see, oh, these are the wins and these are the losses. And all of a sudden trends, it's not rocket science, but you're, you have a specific DNA, a specific footprint. You're good at certain things, Mm -hmm. but you probably haven't taken the time to look at what those things are. And so when you write all of those things down, you start looking at them. Oh, wow. There's, you can draw some real big and fast conclusions about what your strengths are, what makes you happy and, and where, and what, where your weaknesses are. Mm-hmm. And if you start tracking towards the things that your, your win category, as opposed to giving equal time to the win and loss category, and you start minimizing the lot, the things that are bringing you down or where you don't have strength, it's amazing how you can start fine tuning your path. And That's so, it, but it's really tough too because if you mm-hmm. start to you start to see yourself in a very different way, you think I'm this guy uh-huh. or I'm this woman, mm-hmm. and you do this self examination, mm-hmm. you go, "Wow, that's not who I am at all." That, well, that honestly, that is the whole idea behind this book. Hmm. It's it's just getting to the root of who you are. That's the number one barrier to true productivity. You're, if you're not acting in complete honesty and truth with yourself. Mm-hmm then you're spinning your wheels to a certain extent. And the farther you are from the truth of who you are and where you want to go, the more wheel spinning you're doing, mm-hmm. i.e. the less you're actually getting done that matters, right? Yeah. Which is the definition, at least as I define it, of productivity. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so, and it's hard. It's, it's hard, if you, especially, let's say, let's say you're a 45-year-old listening to this right now and you've been, you've thought you're that guy for 45 years, yeah. right? It's hard to sit and go, wait a second, I'm not that guy. That's a jarring situation, right, for anybody. Yeah. It was for me at, at, at 30, you know, and, and even though, by the way, I, I ultimately decided that, yes, this is the path I want to go on, there was a lot of stuff about me that I was like, oh, wait, I thought I was this mm-hmm. and I'm not. Like what? Well, I thought that I thought that it was very, very important. I thought it was part of who I was to have these big outward successes because I'd had them in the past. As I talk a little bit about the book, I mean, I was the go get 'em girl, the, the school president, valedictorian, head of the debate team, a scholarship to Oxford. I mean, it was, and these outward successes were very, very, very important to me mm-hmm. and defined me mm-hmm. in a way. Yeah. And the second they started being taken away, I started crumbling as a person. And so it was very important for me to, to be able to separate these external successes with success and, and, and what brings actual meaning to myself. So I had this kind of like more flashy personality, you know, very like playing the part. Mm-hmm. And I was like, when I really sat down, I was like, wait, that's not me at all. I'm actually kind of introverted and quiet and I don't need all of that. Um, 
but I thought I did. Did that, And that doesn't come overnight, right? No. That comes over a period no. of time of no, self-reflection. Yeah. That's, I think, also, too, you're not going to sit down and say, Aaron, I'm going to have a talk with you, yeah. you know, my, you know and, and, and an hour later, oh, I've solved it. Now I know who I am. I'm right. on my way. Right. This is like a process of quiet introspection where you've got to kind of sit with yourself, which is the scariest thing for anybody to do. Mm-hmm. But I do think in the quietness, if you can quiet your mind, that's when all the answers come to you. That's when everything comes to you. But you, you will never find the answers about anything with a distracted, busy mind. And, and is that a period that you had set aside where you would, and, and in terms of your advice to other people, mm-hmm. is it every week, sit down, do yeah. an assessment? And, mm-hmm. and how would I go about doing it? Yeah, that? that's kind of what I talk about in the, in the book. In my particular situation, it was kind of like a crisis situation where mm-hmm. I had no choice but to just sit with myself and say, I need an answer to come now. Like, I, I'm just going to sit here as long as I've got until an answer comes. And mm-hmm. I didn't have a lot of time. So as, as we talked about, I needed to make that decision. Um, but yes, I think the idea here, and I talk about it in the book, is basically the way you start is a weekly check-in. And, the, and you start by literally um, tracking what you do every hour of the day for seven days. And at the end of that seven days, I, it sounds very laborious and heavy lifting, but I guarantee you at the end of that seven days, on like let's say a Sunday when you sit down, give yourself an hour to go over where you're spending your time, you will be shocked to see how much time you are wasting, how mm-hmm. much time is distracted time, and how much time you're spending not moving towards where you want to go. Mm-hmm. And it's in that kind of that first week that you do a check-in, and then every other week you kind of every once a week you check in and say, you know, what have I done this week? How am I feeling? How am I what's my energy level? That's kind of my thing Mm. that always I go back to because people talk a lot about happiness and fulfillment. And I find those, those are great ways to be, but I find them kind of elusive, Mm -hmm. esoteric terms, but everybody knows their own energy. Like, are you feeling tired and exhausted and depleted? Or are you feeling like full of energy? Yeah. And if you're not feeling full of energy, you got to ask yourself why Mm -hmm. what's going on. But that's not to say that you're not going to be exhausted, right? No, you can be tired. That's a difference. Yeah, you can be really tired. When you're doing things that you love, like you're, you're often doing, spending a lot of time doing them. And yeah. You can be tired, but your energy, if your energy isn't low. You, mm. Have you ever done something you're really excited about and you're, you're exhausted at the end of the day, but you still kind of like, you got a little bit of a spring in your step because yeah. you, you like what you're doing? Right. You, we talked about this with the podcast. When mm-hmm. you, I started a podcast. I'm, you... Yeah. Kind of recently, I mean, a couple of years, but <laughs> yeah. but but we love doing it, yeah. right? There's so a buzz. There's from, a buzz. Yeah. Yeah. So I might be tired after talking for an hour straight, but I still feel like kind of there's a pep in my step, for lack of a yeah. better yeah. word. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And, you know, or as, as opposed to that taking that person's call that we talked earlier in the show about, where you get your... on, you get off the phone, you. God, I'm tired. <laughs> I haven't done anything but listen, but I'm exhausted. Right, right, right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And that's just something that sucks your energy out. And the reason I frame it in this way is because I can, I can, because you're you're speaking to women mm-hmm. in your book. Right. I can, I can just picture a woman right now who is a mother who works, mm-hmm. who is a, a wife, and who at you know, as she's listening to this podcast, she's trying to take a bath right. or whatever. Right. And 
And she's exhausted. Exhausted. And she's saying, well, you're telling me to do all of these things mm. to reassess my life. And mm. I don't feel any energy because I'm exhausted from doing all these things. Right. And so speak to her right. about what the difference between energy and exhaustion. I think mm. you've sort of talked about mm. that. But how how does she find the time to do all these things that that we're supposed to do to make ourselves better? Yeah. Well, I think the thing is, is just to be very calculated in how you're going to spend your time. So for example, for me, I take a bath every night. It is a hundred percent must. But before I was taking a bath, I would be on my phone, literally, you know, not, not doing work or anything, but scrolling, let's say an Instagram feed or, and then I'd, and then an email would come up and I'd read that email. I'd get out of the bath, you know, 30 minutes, 25, 30 minutes later, and I hadn't relaxed at all. Mm. So that time that I've cut out to relax in a bath is actually not relaxing at all. Yeah. And my mind is probably more wound up because mm-hmm. I've gotten the stimulation. So it's so I started to analyze and this is why this kind of time time tracker thing really works because it's like, well, I'm having a bath every night. How come I'm not, you know, how come I'm going to bed and I'm still completely wired? Mm-hmm. Well, because I'm not actually really relaxing. So you have to really analyze how you're spending your time. And list, having a bath and listening to this podcast, I, w- I don't think is a good idea. Mm-hmm. I think if you want to listen to the podcast, you've got to find it like when you're driving in your car or mm-hmm. something like that, yeah. where you've you got to be alert anyways, but mm-hmm. it's not downtime, right? right? Right. That actually makes sense because you're doing something that you enjoy and maybe learning something from as opposed to just wasting time in a car, right? Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. don't listen to this podcast when you're in the bath. Right, I, because I that's, that's that, the relaxation you time. You have to carve. Right. And, those, and finding those kinds of moments, by the way, in a non-distracted form is where the answers to those bigger questions start to percolate and start to come out. Yeah. You're just lying there, quiet, really relaxing, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And all of a sudden, in the relaxed state of mind, these answers of who you are start to come out. Yeah. And, and, and that's really where you want to be. Right. Um, it was funny to read the book that uh, as, you were, as you were talking about the fact that um, you'd had these successes mm-hmm. and then suddenly you get a call from an agent. Mm-hmm. Who, who says to you, we, we want you to write a book about productivity. Right. And which makes sense right. on paper. Uh-huh. You, I mean, you start two companies. Right. You, um, you write this incredible blog. Mm-hmm. It makes sense. Mm-hmm. You're the productivity person. Right. And you felt what when they told you that? Well, they came to me and said, hey, we'd love you to write a book. And I said, great. On what? And they said, on you. And I said, what do you? Who would read this book? And I said, "Well, what do you mean? You've done this, and you've done this, and right. you've done this, and you're the perfect person to talk about you know productivity." Yeah. And I was flabbergasted. Really, I got off the phone and I was like, "What? Like, <laughs> why would I be the person to talk about this?" And as I sat back and I th- and I really started to think about it, I was like, "Oh my God, I have." D- and this is true. This isn't. This isn't BS. I mean, really, I was like, I don't, are these guys crazy? Why am I, why would I write this book? Mm -hmm. And then I started to think, and I started to tally up all of these things that I'd done. And I was like, oh my God, I really have accomplished a couple of things here. I mean, I'm not saying I'm like Rupert Murdoch or Steve Jobs, but I was like, wow. And I hadn't given myself credit for any of it. And is that a a female thing? 
I think so. Yeah. Honestly, I just I feel like I feel like there's and this is I'm saying this is a compliment. I feel like when guys have a victory, they take that victory lap. And yes, we I do. don't see that in women. Right. I literally was like when I sat down and I said, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this, I've done this. Whoa, I've got a million people following me. You know, me. Mm-hmm. You know, little old me kind of thing. Why are these people follow you know? And I was like, there's a real problem here because I am just moving on to the next, on to the next, on to the next, on to the next. And not even appreciating this. Mm-hmm. I'm not enjoying it, certainly. Yeah. And that's a real problem. It is a problem. And let me ask you this. So I agree with you. Men, we do take a victory mm-hmm. lap. We take a victory lap when we don't deserve a victory <laughs> right. lap, right? right? We just, we <laughs> happen to, to turn the lights out at the right time. And it's like, look at what I did. All me. I, right. I turned the lights out at the right time. And... And I and I really do think women tend not to do that. Mm-hmm. They underplay, yeah. you know, their successes. Right. And so, I wonder in in a have you worked in a male dominated space? Mm-hmm. So that you know, obviously, the startup world mm-hmm. is sort of known for that. Oh yeah. And I just wonder how how did you navigate that, and what did you see in in that sense, mm-hmm. and how did you get through it? Yeah. And, and what advice do you have for others who are in that? Sup- Super, super, um, super broed out the startup space and, uh, and a lot of super smart, really talented, great guys. Don't get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but it is definitely feels or has felt like a man's world, especially when we went out to raise money and stuff like that. There was 99%, uh, men making the decision and, really faced, to be honest with you, a lot of sexism, like a lot of pat on the heads, like, oh, isn't this a cute idea for your company? You know, literally like that kind of tone. And Sarah stuff. Blakely talks about the same thing. Yeah. Un, like really unbelievable. Um, we had one, we had one big time investor go, God, I, when we were pitching for Leaf TV, um, say, I love this. This is incredible. This is going to blow up. And we were like all excited sitting at the table and they said, but who's, okay, but who's going to run the company? Like who's going to be the CEO? Who's, and I, I'm, we're, we're, the founders are sitting here going like, well, what do you mean we are? No, no, no. But we need, like, we need to have, you know, I mean, they didn't say men, but right. we, we need people that have, you know, a track record. We were sitting there going, are you crazy? You just told us right. that you're obsessed with this idea and it's going to blow up. Yeah. We came up with this idea. Yeah. We have a track record. But the fact that it was like not even seeing that these two women could run the company. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, uh, crazy. So, yeah, it has been. It, and then even when we raise the money, um, you know, it is difficult because you're, you're kind of tiptoeing, honestly. Like you feel like you don't ever want to take a victory lap because you're just that you feel like the second you do that, the next phase is like to fail. You, the second you get you give in and say, "Hey, we had a victory here." I mean, at least for me, I was just waiting to fail the second after. And mm-hmm. again, it's that fear-based kind of thing that mm-hmm. I think that women particularly are faced with, and and men aren't. Also, there are there were a lot more men than women, so you just felt a little more alone. Mm. You know, your tribe mm. was smaller. Yeah. Um, so it's tricky. I mean, the thing is, the bottom line is, you got to do the work. You got to put your nose down and do the work and do the best work you can. But you've just got to be careful that you're 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 
you're stopping to, to really appreciate when you do have a victory, and you also are not doing other people's work to overcompensate, to make other people feel better. Um, which is which, which is, is very much what women an instinct, do. right? What women do, and I talk about this a lot at the beginning of the book, where I say there is a point where you just have to learn to say no, and not be scared. You're not going to take on extra responsibilities because you're being manipulated or because somebody else doesn't have the skill set to get that done. You have to push back and you have to take ownership over your own power in the workplace. That's the only way you can do it. And it's really scary. Okay, so tell me how to do that because I think it's easy to say that. It's mm-hmm. un, it's, it makes sense, mm-hmm. but give me some real ways to do that. Okay, well, you first of all got to really pay attention to the vocabulary that you're having, number one. If you're finding yourself saying yes and a lot, which I, honestly most women say yes and then go, oh, why did I say that? And then mm. they do it anyways. Mm. So you really got to pay attention. Like, are you finding yourself in situations where you're saying yes but mean no? Because, it, because I'm saying to you, hey, uh, would someone here uh, right. do the such and such? Yeah. Totally. And and your first instinct is to say, I'll raise your hand, I'll do it. I'll I can I can take care exactly. of that. Exactly. And then suddenly your plate is full. Yeah. And, and like I used to be at the very first startup that I was working at, and this is when actually when I was t- the fifteen hour fifteen dollar hour job I talked yeah. about. And it, granted, I was a low person in the totem pole, uh, but we used to have a weekly lunch staff lunch um, staff lunch that was organized by the quote unquote organized by the CEO, and every week um, the the they would say, okay, Aaron, could you just uh, order the lunch? Go around and take everybody's orders. And I would do it. But I'm like, in retrospect, why was I, and I, by the way, I was the only girl working there. Why was I oh, man. doing this, right? Yeah. I've got my whole own work to do. Right. Like, and now I'm running around like a waitress, taking every, not that there's anything wrong with being a waitress, but that was not the job that I was hired for. Right. Taking everybody's order, calling it in, making sure it was you know, delivered, there was enough cutlery, like this ridiculous thing. Yeah. So is that difficult to say no in those situations? Yes, it is. But is it crucial that you do that? Or at least make sure that I'll do it one week, but next week it's uh, Jimmy. John, Jimmy. So those are little instances where I would say, yes, automatically I'll do this. And you can't do that anymore. Mm -hmm. You, You know, you have to stop doing things like that. There's also like a ton of things just like on taking notes in meetings I feel like it's always like the you know the woman that's either volunteering or being asked to do it and it's like gotta start saying no you know there's this big movement time the time's up movement yeah, right now yeah. you know kind of thing and I feel like that's a you know it's a kind of very exciting idea but without the tools to actually affect change the, 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 the same thing's going to go on right. and on and on. And, and, I th- and I think that's why this book provides a little bit of value because there are, you know, just the vocabulary we speak, that kind of stuff really matters. Being able to take these many steps of drawing lines, it's scary, but it's necessary if you're ever going to affect real change for yourself, most importantly, but also in general in the workplace. Yeah. When you finally decided, okay, yeah, I can, I can write this book. Mm-hmm. And, and you started to, and first of all, you went, several months went by where you didn't like write a, a word. A year. Right. <laughs> and then what was it that finally sparked you to say, wait a minute, I, I can write this. And then did the, did the floodgates open at mm-hmm. that point? And mm-hmm. what was that sort of moment of clarity? Right. So when the agent called me and asked me to do this book on productivity, I was like, you know, as I said, I was yeah. like, okay, and I kind of looked back and I saw, okay, I've done a couple things. Okay, I'll, 
I should be able to write a book on productivity. Um, and then I went month after month after month, and I just couldn't, I just was nothing, like crickets, not a single idea coming up, couldn't find an angle for anything, and it was really painful, because every month I'd do a check-in with the agent, and every month it was like a failure, you know, ugh, like I'm bullshitting on the phone, trying right. to like spin some ideas that I've come up with four minutes before, because I'd come up with nothing in the 30 days before. <laughs> And this is true. I um, had my last call with the agent, uh, and I was going to tell her I can't do it. This is just messing me up psychologically. I can't believe I have this incredible opportunity to write a book. The entire reason I moved to Los Angeles, okay, mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. I can't get it done. Yeah. This is sadistic. You know what I mean? So I said, i got to cut it off. I just can't. I can't do it. Now's not the right time. And I was, as I was waiting, I was on, literally on hold with music, you know, waiting for her to dial in. And I got this email, which I get also every month from my old um, elementary school, which is uh, called, they, it's a newsletter that says Calling All Crestlines. Right. And every month they give an update of the alumni and blah, 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 blah. And every month I was excited to look at it, see if I knew anybody, da, da, da. And every time I finished reading the email, I said, I swear, I said, I can't wait for the day that I can write in and say that I've done something great. And then I'd move on. Anyways, as I'm waiting for the agent to dial in, I get, I happened, I'm scrolling through my computer, I happened to get the monthly calling all Crestlines email. I go through the thing, oh, isn't that cool? Da, 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 da. And I'm about to minimize the email, and I say to myself, God, I can't wait to, I can write in, da, da, da. And again, I have this big epiphany where it's like, you've spent a year, you had this epiphany a year ago, wait, you actually have done some great stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you let a year go by, and here you are still thinking you've really done nothing. Yeah. And in that moment, I was like, this is what the book's going to be about. And the agent happened to dial in right then, and, I, and she said, so you got anything for me? And I said, yeah, I got the book, and this is what it's about. And, wow. And it just, it was so serendipitous the way I got that email, the agent came on the phone, and it was just a light bulb. And ever since that moment, not only have I gone on an incredible journey of self-discovery and a real self-discovery like but so I was able to write the book it was as I was writing the book I was learning you know it was an yeah. unbe unbelievable kind of experience um, but now I can really say it changed me because mm -hmm. I do appreciate things I do under you know I'm not always going next 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 um, I don't want everything I want a very specific set of things and that's what I'm going for mm. Um, and will, does that change over time? Sure. It's okay to pivot. But yeah. In fact, you should probably be pivoting as you grow and mm -hmm. whatever. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of how the book yeah. after a long time got written. And then funny, once I had that idea, I was able to write it pretty quickly. Um, so you've found your way and you've, you've found your book and you've written the first of what I assume will be many. Um, and if there are some takeaways for people to 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 jump into right now, mm -hmm. we talked about one of them, which is to start this idea of assessing mm -hmm. and really spending time and asking the questions. Mm -hmm. What else can I do right now mm -hmm. and over the next few weeks mm -hmm. to sort of put myself into a better, more productive space, especially if I'm a woman right. who has some of these traits that you've talked about? Right. Um, well, yeah, so... As we said, or as I said, the, the most important thing is just kind of doing a critical analysis of where you're at. Mm -hmm. And that's an ongoing kind of process, takes a, a couple of weeks. 
um, just to get grounded and to, you know, figure out how you got to where you're going. Um, but I think, you know, the, the, it's hard to say because without doing that analysis, that's really where everything kind of starts. Yeah. Um, but because we are in new, you know, new, it's January, I would think the quickest way, everybody kind of comes up with resolutions. I would say the quickest way, you know, if you want kind of like a quick exercise mm-hmm. is look at what you've decided to resolve this year mm. and immediately ask yourself along each thing, why do I want that? Mm. The why is very important, right? Mm-hmm. There's the why and the how. So for everything you do, you've got to understand why you're doing it. And then you've got to understand, now how am I going to do it? Mm-hmm. But if that why isn't strong enough, like that's a lot of reason why resolutions in general fail, right? Because the why is just not strong enough. It's like a, an idea that you think you should be doing. I should lose weight or I should da 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 But if you say instead of I should lose weight, for example, okay, well, yes, probably most people should lose weight. But if you reframe that, because I have a young child that I want to stay alive for as long as possible, I want to have be as in great shape. If you make that your why, as opposed to weight loss, all of a sudden you it's that's it's a, a great it's a driver. It's yeah. a great motivator. Yeah. You never lose sight of that, right? That's something that you can. It's almost tangible. You have a little boy or girl yeah. or whatever, and you. Yeah. So I would say, a, 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 if you wanted to do an actionable, immediate. Uh, to do, I'd look at whatever your New Year's resolutions were and put a why around all of them. And anything that doesn't have a strong why, get rid of. Mm. Um, otherwise, that self-analysis is the most important. All right. And pick up the book. And of course, buy the book. <laughs> <laughs> well, Aaron, this has been a terrific conversation. It went by so quickly. Um, I really enjoyed it. Uh, congratulations you. on your success. Thank I, you. I hope you're trumpeting it uh, these days. <laughs> Um, and taking Beating credit. Beating my chest. Right, Beating good. my chest. Excellent. <laughs> Thanks a lot. Thank you. If you want to check out Erin's book, her website, Pick the Brain, or Leaf TV, go to my podcast page, ktla.com slash Frank Buckley Interviews, and I'll connect you. Before you do, I hope you'll subscribe to Frank Buckley Interviews. We drop a new podcast every Wednesday, and we've got an archive of about 80 interviews right now with really interesting people. Of course, it's always free to listen. If you want to send me some feedback on a podcast or if you want to share it with a friend, I hope you'll tag me. On Twitter and Instagram, I'm Frank Buckley TV, and there's a Frank Buckley Facebook page as well. As always, thanks for listening, and until next time, I'll see you on TV.